From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the dot consulting dot co. Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Coding the Future. I am so honored that you have joined me again for an hour of conversation and learning with the amazing professionals that are here to share their insight, their stories, and their work. Coding the Future is an education-based show to give information and action tips to working adults to guide them to a new level of tech savvy through leveraging their own skill set. We will share the inside scoop on tech trends, explain, explain how to leverage current technology in your career, and explore how your talents can be the key to your tech success. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. I'm an educator, a technologist, a lifelong lover of all things sun and water, a mom of two boys. I like coffee in the morning, a glass of wine at night. I'm an avid list maker and a lifelong learner. And I am honored that you have joined the show today. I am in particular excitement about today's show. I may say that every time, I think because I just love this work. I love recording. But today in particular is really special to me because I have a friend of mine who is who I've actually had the opportunity to inter- interview before through um, my other podcast, Lady Tech Charmers, and who has since gone on to really take a career change and pivot and has grown tremendously over the past two and a half years, maybe a little bit longer than that, but I'm going to go with two and a half for sure. So today I'm joined by my dear friend Bernadette Joy, who is the founder of Crush Your Money Goals, and she takes personal finance really personally. Overwhelmed and ignored by traditional finance, she learned not just to talk the talk, but she walks the walk. Having paid off $300,000 in debt in three years, and is on her and has her family on its way to the first million dollars of net work net worth excuse me from casual to corporate she can engage any audience while she has over a decade of fortune 100 experience three degrees and numerous certifications she's known for more of her relatable and energetic media persona bernadette has spent the better part of the past three years growing her business to talk and teach people how to save money and the reason why I wanted her on the show is one is Bernadette is so easy to talk to. And of course, because I already uh, know her, but two, because the, the journey of what Bernadette's been able to do is very true to those of us that really look within and begin to find our passion. We talk a lot about on the show, finding that new level of tech savvy. And what I mean by that often doesn't mean you're sitting down programming behind a computer. It's more about taking your skill set and adding that technological component to it to make you the best version of a technologist that there is. And Bernadette has done that with her work with Crush Your Money Goals and Crushing Your Debt. She's taken the the, the, uh, platforms of social media, media, websites, 
podcasting and grown her business to be 100% virtual and it's exploded. So Bernadette, welcome to the show. Hi. Well, wow. I just, I feel like a million bucks with, with all of that introduction. So thank you for having me. Well, I think you're a million bucks and plus you're going to be earning a million dollars. You've already reached that goal at this point. Yeah, we actually, um, we crossed over a million dollars of net worth, AJ and I, my husband, uh, a couple months ago. So we are there. Congratulations. Thank you. Amazing. Well, I want to start just a little bit for not everybody that knows who you are. Can you give us a little bit of background about your journey to where you are now? Maybe even backing up a little bit to earning your uh, MBA and your dress store and things like that, just to give a little bit of framework about where you are right now in your career. Okay, sure. So, hi, everybody. I'm Bernadette Joy, and I'm going to go all the way back because I think it's relevant for this conversation. And because you can't see me, um, I am uh, a first-generation Filipino-American. I am the eighth of nine kids. So uh, my, and my dad was the oldest of nine kids and I uh, started this journey much as any, uh, any of us in the, in the realm of money of just learning about personal finance vis-a-vis the people around me and particularly my parents. And the messaging that I got throughout my whole life was make a lot of money and save a lot of money. But there was, there was no how or why, or how much, or, you know, what should feel good to you when you're doing this. And it was, um, it was a lot of years in the making of trying to figure out what personally made sense for me when it came to my own philosophy, when it came around money. And there was also a lot of mental garbage that I had to kind of get out of the way. And so fast forward to when I graduated from college, as you mentioned, I had, uh, I have three degrees, two undergrads and a graduate degree. And I, my, my first job out of school uh, coming out of undergrad was to be an HR um, in the banking industry. What I did not recognize or didn't know and knew was going to happen was that I graduated in 2007. So guess what happened in 2008 in New York city right. in financial services in HR, right? <laughs> so you know, um, what I figured out as a something that I look back on when I when I think about what has influenced my money decisions was the fact that I started out my career thinking that I was going to go and help people. And a lot of people who go to HR saying like, oh, I want to go into the in human resources because I want to feel really excited about my career and help other people with their careers. I was doing the exact opposite. I was flying around to different offices in the U.S. and telling people they had no job anymore. And Right. And uh, and I just remember very distinctly, um, there is a particular day uh, I was in Ohio and and I'd never been to Ohio before. And I went to one of our offices for this Fortune 100 company that I worked with. And I was sitting across the table from this older white man, probably in his 50s, and telling him he had no job anymore after working at that company for 20 something years. And he said to me with the most, you know, the straightest look on his face saying, I've probably been working here longer than you've been alive. Why do you have a job and I don't? Wow. (laughs) Right. And so I was 20 something years old at the time. And I was like, you know what? That is a great question, sir. I don't, I don't have a good, I don't have a good answer for you, but here's your severance package. Right. And I remember implicitly thinking Well, and at the time I was in this HR rotational program, I was um, 
I was one of the only people who was a person of color. Um, when I looked at the lar- when I looked at all of the offices that I was going to, everyone in senior leadership were white and male. And I was like, well, if this guy wasn't safe, who's to say that I'm going to be safe, quote unquote, right. right, in my job security. And so I remember thinking, making a promise to myself, I don't ever want to be in a position where I am sitting across the table from someone and they're telling me that I don't have a job anymore and that I'm not going to have a plan for myself going forward. So uh, long story short, I spent 10 years in HR (laughs) doing a lot of that stuff at different companies. I went into large banks and then I also went into tech startups. And that's where I got my, my love of technology and my love of the startup community. But at the end of the day, it was all the same in the sense of someone else was holding the bag on my financial security and my ability to take care of myself and that someone else being my employer. And I wanted to start thinking about how I can be more financially independent and not necessarily have to rely on a paycheck. So I decided to go back to school, got my MBA, thinking that that would be the key to everything, you know, more education. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I did not anticipate was having you know, it costing me six figures for an online program, which still blows my mind. Um, and, and coming out of grad school with still not really a clear plan on my career, but $72,000 of student loan debt and, and a bug for entrepreneurship. And by that time, I had worked for several other CEOs and realized that I had a lot of great skill sets, but I didn't have the confidence to go out on my own and do it. And so that's what started my my entrepreneurship journey. And five years, five years later, I'm here. And I'm sure we'll talk more about what the entrepreneurship side looked like. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that about the confidence piece, because I think that's often where we even as females in the industry get stuck that we feel like we have to check all the boxes in order to be X, Y or Z, you know, and that confidence level is so important. I don't know, I, I'm just I'm totally re- resonating with that because I have felt that way most of my life. Sometimes I felt like an imposter standing there that mm-hmm. because I have de- several degrees myself, but actually none in particular in computer science. I have business and technology and education, and I've taught myself everything about computer science because I'm a <clears throat> avid learner. But it took me a while to stand in my own knowledge. Mm-hmm. Actually, you were one of the first people that taught me that when many years ago you did a Facebook Live, and it was you were starting to have that conversation around finances and understanding, coming to understanding your own personal relationship with money, which I've also had an interesting relationship with money over my mm-hmm. lifetime as well. I don't know, there that confidence piece I think is so important. And so, tell us a little bit about because I do think the part about the your project in your MBA school and the business that you started is an important piece to why you ended up jumping or not necessarily mm. jumping, but ended up turning your career into where you are now. Yes. So the first business that I started coming out of grad school, this was back in 2016, was a company called Dress. And it was basically a local version of Rent the Runway. And I was inspired by the fact that the founders of Rent the Runway were also like MBA, two MBA students, right, yeah. who just, who found this problem in the, you know, for women that women wanted a lot of options to wear for for special occasions, but didn't want to spend that money. And so I built my own kind of version of that locally in Charlotte. And it 
it was a big part of my journey. And I did that business for three years. And a couple of things that I learned from that business that is so helpful now, one is that it was the biggest thing was that it kind of failed, right? (laughs) That was one of the things that I really had to grapple with. So in 2019, I decided to close that business. I was actually making money and being profitable, but where I consider it to quote unquote fail was that I figured out in the three years that I wasn't sure that this was the problem that I wanted to solve. So what was super interesting about that that experience was that initially I started that business because I wanted to help women save money. I didn't think it made sense for women to spend a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars in a dress that we're going to only wear one time. And selfishly for me, I also had an interest in sustainability and I was a crazy shopaholic. I, I was able to start that business because I had 300 dresses myself. (laughs) That's actually how I started that business. Right. And what I found that was so unexpected was that Anytime that I met women um, who came to my studio to try on these dresses and to go to these very important events, whether it's weddings or stuff, was that they were so focused on not even the cost of it, but how they would look and what and how confident they would feel going to that event. And it was entirely predicated on what they were wearing versus how are they they were showing up as a person, how you know conf- confident they felt in their own skin. And I started to notice that even when men, when women came there to save money, a lot of women, even if they found a dress that was perfectly suitable, they still wanted to spend more time, energy, and money go, going to find the perfect dress because that perfect dress was going to make make that event for them versus the confidence to have going into any room and saying, regardless of what I'm wearing, I'm, I'm going to be the life of the party, right? And so- Right. No, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Been there. Yeah, I've been there too, right? And so I started to realize like that was that was a really interesting challenge, which is how do we as women show up wherever we need to be showing up, whether it's at a wedding, at a corporate event, at at our job and having the confidence to say I belong here, I deserve to be here, I'm a pleasure to be with and how do I actually um, you know, how do I how do I actually manifest that in all all the parts of my life? And what was unexpected was that during this time while I was uh, running that business, this is when I just came out of my uh, graduate program with that $72,000 of student loan debt. I had decided to aggressively pay off that student loan debt because at the time I was still working my day job in HR and running the side hustle and finishing up this degree and, and it wasn't sustainable. And so I decided, you know, I think I would feel a lot more confident and comfortable in quitting the day job, which I wasn't really excited about anymore to run my own business if I didn't have that student loan debt. And the normal plan is for people to pay it off in 10 to 20 years. And I was like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. So I decided to pay it off in two years. I ended up paying it off in um, seven months after graduation. So $72,000 in less than a year. And that was the thing that I even knew that in seven months you did that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I graduated in April of 2016 and the $72,000 was paid off by November of that same year. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people assume it's because we made a lot of money and it's just, that just wasn't the case. My husband and I just got super intentional and decided that that was going to be a priority. And the original goal, like I said, was two years, but we paid it off in less than a year. And that was a story that people wanted to hear. Yeah. That w- and I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that that would be interesting to anybody <laughs> or that that would be out of the ordinary. Because in my mind, I was like, who wants to carry around 
all this debt for like the rest of their lives. That just sounds miserable. So I'm just not going to do it. I didn't realize how counterculture that was. And that was the predecessor to crush your money goals was starting that journey of paying off the student loan debt, which then went into paying off our house, which then went into building our first million dollars of net worth. And now I've expanded a lot more beyond just paying debt. I teach women how to become financially independent and confident in their own finances. Yes, I know. And I follow everything you do and I love it. And partially because what I think is so empowering about what you've said, and this is something that I've mentioned a couple of times throughout my show, but one is you've been intentional Two, consistency. Consistency is always to me is what actually turns the corner whenever you're wanting to achieve a goal, right? No matter what that is, learning a new tech skill, becoming debt free, purchasing a home, uh, changing your career and you don't have to bite it off all at one time. Mm -hmm. And this, I now I did, you know, you probably have said this, that you paid it off in seven months, but I don't know if that resonated that much with me, but you know, money is a lot of times an underlying conversation we don't want to have, but it's a lot of, I think that uh, to me plays a lot into our confidence too. If we feel like we don't have money or whatever, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, a similarity there too. I'm not going to be a, psychiatrist that but I just think as females (laughs) sometimes we do do that Mm -hmm. but the other thing that you said um was what I really love the most is that this underlying purpose happened very organically for you as you started the dress business dressed and I rented dresses from you as well and then I which you're right it was a success in many ways but it wasn't the ultimate goal of what you wanted because you'd seen these other questions start to come up. And then, of course, amidst all of this, starting a business and finishing school, you're paying off debt. Mm-hmm. And then the question, then people want to know, well, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. Help mm-hmm. me out. <laughs> okay. Like, so let's think. Oh, and the other thing I would say, too, what I think is really great about this is you can pull on your HR career because you had all this background in one of the things I knew you did for a while too was helping people write their resume or really mm-hmm. cultivate that language around finding the right fit so that they can bring in the income they want to bring on income, bring in, and then start those money saving and money paying processes mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of this, uh, and and you know, when people ask me how did you start this business, how did you grow this business, was I simply kept looking around of, of problems that needed to be solved and who was willing to pay for them, basically, right? And uh, when I go back to thinking about dress, I think it was a success in a lot of ways, or in the ways that people would traditionally think. But as I mentioned, where it failed for me was that it wasn't you know, that problem of solving what to wear just wasn't exciting to me anymore. And there was this bigger problem to solve. And then, and I will tell you this. So I closed that business in September, 2019, and I felt terrible. Like I literally sat under a weighted blanket for maybe a month and just cried. (laughs) And, and, you know, and I had that, I, I had that, that fear of like, oh my gosh, I just, I was telling all these people that I built this business and then I spent, you know, I quit my day job to run this business. Now I'm closing it. I'm such a failure. And who would have guessed that it would have led me to do crush your money goals, which is what I really feel like is, you know, my path at least, you know, for the foreseeable future, but it's also been, you know, financially successful, impactful to people in the way that I want it to be. And who would have guessed that, in 2019, come 2020, pandemic would have happened. That business yeah. would have been under the water anyway, right? So mm-hmm. 
I look back and I'm like, you know, what I thought was such a failure actually turned out to be a door opening to something even bigger, which ended up being crush your money goals, which I don't know that I would have ever thought to do if I was still full-time running that business that I wasn't excited about anymore. Well, you know, and you honored your feeling, you honored your inner gut to say, this isn't what isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And as women, we often can ignore that gut feeling and keep trudging through because we think that's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, men do it as well, but <clears throat> I find it more prevalent, excuse me, <clears throat> more prevalent in women that we will tend to keep going, even if we don't feel it's the right fit for us, I which agree. Let's talk a little bit about Crush Your Money Goals and how mm-hmm. this, so when you first started on the journey, um, you launched your podcast, you mm-hmm. were doing some work with individuals to help them walk through that. How has the pandemic changed the way in which you've leveraged technology to grow that business? And before you even dig into that question, give just a little snippet about what is Crush Your Money Goals and then you can Sure, you. sure, so Crush Your Money Goals, um, it's a financial and uh, education and media company. And so I seek to, uh, my mission statement is to change the face of wealth in America and, you know, take that for what, <laughs> thank you, take it for how you want to interpret it. But I definitely believe that there are more people, especially in the U.S., that deserve to be wealthy, that just hasn't gotten the resources and the education that they need in order to do that. And and particularly women and people of color, right? So um, Crush Your Money Goals has a lot of different revenue streams. Um, one being my, the, the top being my financial programs that people uh, meet with me personally to walk through what it is that you want their life to look like and get to the road of financial independence. I also run um, online classes, which has been entirely uh, supported by uh, the virtual environment that that became 2020 during the pandemic, right? Uh, I also do speaking engagements. I'm in the process of writing a book. And as you mentioned, it all started out with my podcast. It started out with um, the simple notion that there so many people ask me how I paid off my debt. And I said to my husband one day, you know what? I feel like I'm just repeating myself over and over again. And so it'd be really cool if I could just record this and just send people a link. And he was like, you know, that's called a podcast, right? And so I was like, oh, okay, that's what I shall do. So I recorded a podcast, fully intending it to just be one season, one little project, just for me to basically free up my time and not have so many coffee meetings. Mm -hmm. And that podcast led to television appearances, which led to news articles, which led to uh, what Crush Your Money Goals looks like today. And it started out, um, uh, with the title F this debt. And I, for PR reasons, changed it to crush this debt, which then became the predecessor to crush your money goals. And crush stands for the five steps that I walk people through any financial decision. I love it. And I like the way there's a couple of things that are really the thread again, through this conversation is one being very, very clear on your purpose and your purpose is to crush the money goals and to change the conversation around wealth in mm-hmm. general. And then having all of your materials, your your marketing and your writing, all that be centered around that conversation. And having that niche is so um, relevant in terms of growing and scaling your business. And then be able, and, and part of that scaling is using technology. So my question to you is, is there a particular technology or tech skill that has been really 
pivotal to you as you have grown your career over the you know the past decade or more? It, even within HR, has there been something that you, software or an application mm-hmm. or a skill, maybe with programming or whatnot, that you've used to help grow uh, grow your career? Yeah, so I'm gonna say this is a skill. I I don't know that most people consider this a skill, but this is what I think is my magic sauce in all of this is that I have zero interest in recreating the wheel. And so what that means as a skill set is that I think I am actually really, really good at being able to uh, scan the current marketplace of current environment and find the things that I need um, from a technology perspective and also from a resource perspective that I can use with a little bit of tweaking without having to completely start from scratch or having to build my own platform, right? So what I mean by that is that most of the people who are in my space that I've noticed, um, and I would say this for tech generally, is that everyone wants to come out with like the new thing, the new tool, the new application, right? The new, uh, you know, the new hot commodity, right? And I figured out like there is enough stuff out here in the world that I don't need to be creating my own thing and then spending all this time, energy, and money trying to market and okay. yeah, and and do this whole and, and do it all on my own. I can use what's already out there and tailor it to what I need, and it will get most of the job done and I can get there much faster. So I started Crush Your Money Goals in two thousand, you know, 2020, January 1st, 2020 is when I launched Crush Your Money Goals. And I just crossed over, you know, you know, our uh, you know building our first six figures of, of revenue. Right. And that is much faster than all of the other people that I've seen who've started around the same time as me, or even before me, right. Getting to a point of like that level of profitability. Why? Because my overhead is extremely low. It's basically me and a bunch of apps (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that already exist. And I didn't waste time trying to build my own platforms. I decided to go where the other existing platforms are, right? So I st- the only thing that I've, I think I would say that I kind of quote unquote built on my own was I, I started out and built my own podcast as an example and built, you know, kind of like the, the list- listeners in there. But I already leveraged the you know, audience I had on Instagram and I grew that. I already leveraged the existing uh, email list and all of the things that I already built from my previous company. Uh, and I decided that instead of me trying to build my own, like, let's make Bernadette famous, I was like, let me go see who needs this, where they are hanging out, and then go to where they are, right? So by design, instead of like, for example, making my own blog, I went to Time Magazine and, and pitched them to be a writer at Time instead. I was like, right. it's much faster for me to get to people mm-hmm. who need money advice with a viewership and the audience of Time than trying to build my own little blog. Right. Did you see an immediate response from that blog? Like when you pitched and then you wrote your first blog, did you see people reaching out to you immediately? Um, yes. <laughs> so the first, so uh, here's an interesting thing, right? So I started out small again, right? I, I went down the route. I'm like, oh, should I have like a blog or like, you know, that's what it says that you should do for SEO or whatever. And I was like, no, you know, I'm just going to go find other people who already have existing platforms. So I went to this company as a smaller company that was called the money manual in New York city. And at the time they had like maybe a couple thousand, you know, people in their viewers in their audience. Right. So I had asked them, Oh, you know, can I write an article for you 
And, um, you know, then you post it on your site. I ended up writing three articles for them. I took those three articles and I went to CNBC and I said, I've written before (laughs) from this website. And so can I write some articles for CNBC? And so they let me do that. And then I took the CNBC articles and then I went to time and I said, uh, you know, and every time I asked for more money also, right. Because I'd build the credibility from the ones before. And, the time it would have taken me to build a blog that would have gotten the viewer the, the viewership of a Time magazine or CNBC would have would I would not have gotten um, as much traction as I have in the last year. And so, same thing goes for even for like this is a perfect example right now. I could keep recording my own podcasts, or I can find other podcasts who are <laughs> who are nice enough to have me and reach their audiences um, versus always trying to build my own. Um, right. And so that is the biggest thing that I think has separated me in terms of growth is going to find the existing technology platforms um, and the existing marketing platforms and using those instead of trying to always start from scratch. Well, again, amazing nuggets. And I'm, I'm even like, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you these questions later, but I love the idea about going to time. I recently myself just started writing for a blog called Coders, which is mm-hmm. a very specific, it's a small blog, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, but it ha- is distinctly to my audience of educators and students around computer science. And I'm super excited about that, starting that instead of starting my own blog, because like you said, that's not something really exciting. But a couple of things here that I want to really bring to light. I did an episode a couple of weeks ago about scaling your teaching. And I specifically was speaking to educators because we have this conversation a lot in business about how we use technology or we leverage our resources in order to scale our business. And often in education, we don't do the same. Our mindset is not always in that same space that we ourselves as educators can't do it all. We want to do it all. We want to impact our students. But sometimes we need a way in which to scale that, scale that work. So two things you mentioned was going to platforms that are already there. Mm-hmm. And I am, I know I am a, I am a Google, Bing, Yahoo. It doesn't matter what it is. I will research anything to find something that's already out there, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. Researching what's already out there. Going to those platforms and then going through it or vetting it to find what's right for you. And I think educators can do the same. Other small businesses and it's me and a bunch of apps. I mean, I think that might be the quote of our <laughs> because that's the truth because there is something already there that you can leverage, make your capacity go higher, but you're not having to also hire. Um, not that we don't want to hire and, and stimulate our, our economy at the same time, but you know, you're able to grow in a way that's beneficial to you. And so I think that's really important for people to listen to is that Bernadette has looked and sourced resources in the technology world to help our business grow without having to create everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a you know prime example, right? So 2020, my the original goal of my business was to be in-person speaking engagements and classes in education, right? And to deliver these all in person. And then obviously March happened and, let, and that all right. didn't, didn't pan out, right? So rather than saying, okay, well, I'm going to start offering my classes, you know, to my Facebook friends and to just whoever I know, I partnered up with another, you know, startup company in Charlotte called Skillpop, right, that already had a $23,000, a 23,000 people on their distribution list, right? And so I was lucky that they approached me because I had already built some reputation 
you know, from my story and sharing it in other media platforms. And instead of me having to do all of that work myself and finding those people, I went to Skillpop and I said, I'll teach my classes through Skillpop. And I had 1800 people come through last year, which I would never have been able to do on my own. But it was it was um, me willing to have a conversation in a collaborative sense, right, with another uh, partner to find something that's mutually beneficial for both of us. And there was they they got more they they had more people coming to their classes as a result of calling it mine and and vice versa. And almost, uh, you know, I'd say the vast majority of the people who have leveled up into my other programs, right, have come have, have all started out with taking a class with me there, right? So uh, that was a really prime example of, you know, I could have just, you know, built, you know, started from scratch and reinvented the wheel, or I could partner with someone who already had an amazing platform and find a mutually beneficial relationship. And the same thing goes for a lot of the other ways that I conduct my business, right? So all of the tools that I use technology-wise for my business um, are ones that already existed, but I've quote unquote hacked them in a way that works for me and works for my clients. Yeah. And you know, the thing that I love the most about all of that is again, it's about leveraging your community and your resources, but in a way that's a positive for everybody because equally you were able to support Skillpop and help them grow their business while you also had the opportunity to really hone in on your style, your educational framework, like how did you want to deliver this class is one of the things I've always thought too is of course practice makes perfect and I've also said too whenever you're learning something new you've got to do it seven times in order for it to begin to sink into your brain so even for you being able to go out and practice and be in a relatively safe environment with people from our community that already know who you are and going to support I think that's really really empowering and people should think about that too because what Bernadette has done what Bernadette has done is she's really started from one step at a time. She hasn't bit the whole apple off at all at once, but has taken steps in order to build her career and <clears throat> build this business in particular. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask quickly, if you could give one money tip to our listeners without spilling all your special sauce, what is that tip? Or and maybe that's too definitive, but if you could give, you know, some advice around money, what would that be? Um, so I'm going to say this is going to probably be very woo-woo. And I figured out this is the number one thing that I realize that people need help with, particularly women. And it's not uh, as tactical as people would like. And it's simply to face your fears around money. And I know that sounds like very broad, but the number one reason that I see women not building wealth is because they are, there is some real trauma that's built into money. Uh, I like how earlier you described it as a rela your relationship with money. Everyone has a relationship with money. And I know very few people that have a positive relationship with money. So really understanding and cultivating your mindset around money and figuring out what it is that really freaks you out about it is the key to unlocking the rest of it. So in my own example, I go back to what I talked about, right? Um, when I was in corporate, the last four companies that I've worked with were all tech companies that were run by middle-aged white men, right? And there was a real fear when I left my job that unless there was a person like that giving me a paycheck 
it wasn't stable, it wasn't secure, or, and I didn't have the confidence that I would be able to replicate that paycheck myself, right? And when I look back on that, it was, it was a, I mean, it was a combination of that has been my experience. I've only worked for large companies or, you know, tech companies that were all that, you know, people looked very similar. And Mm -hmm. there was also some systemic things that I had to that I had to, you know, I realized that there, there was a challenge, but also personally, that was the messaging that I got my entire life. My dad was also a CFO. He was like, the only way that you're going to be wealthy is if you go work for somebody else. Right. So when I think about, you know, what my fears have been around, it was really the, I did not feel confident that I would be able to be financially independent unless there was a man who was paying me. Mm-hmm. That was like, that was a real, you know, a real thing that I had to un. un- ungrapple. And when I talk about facing your fears, it's actually getting a lot more deep than, oh, I just need a cushion or, you know, I'm worried about my, you know, the roof over my head. When I, when I talk to my clients specifically, um, their fears are, are a lot, a lot of times rooted in shame and guilt that they didn't even realize that they had. So there's a lot of mental work that goes into money and everybody everybody ignores that in the personal finance space. Everyone says, oh, it's because you don't budget or it's because you don't understand what net worth is or it's because you eat, you, you eat out too much. That's not really the reason that people are not becoming wealthy. It's because they're afra- there's things that they're really afraid of. And so people go out and look for the advice that's going to be the easiest to implement without really addressing what's, what, what they're afraid of to begin with. I have goosebumps and I'm processing everything you said because I think you're spot on because everyone's looking for that quick fix that really isn't there unless you do the work to figure out what is the ultimate piece that is driving your relationship with money. Mm-hmm. And because of you, I will be debt free from all of our credit card debt by the ah! end of the year. Yay which has been a cycle for us, mostly just because of job changes and things that occurred that, um, like you said, in 2008, there was a big switch. And so there was some things there that my own issues where I went from one job to another and dropped dramatically. And I'm going to work on getting our, our house paid off as well. That one's a bigger, bigger bite to chew, but I'm getting that momentum because I keep, thinking about the financial freedom and that wealth that can be built. So I, I thank you for that. And to all, all my listeners, I hope you will continue to challenge me to make sure that I've paid all the <laughs> debt off by the end of the, of the year, but I'm well on my way. I'm on, I, we're, we're, we're uh, ch- chucking along here. But the, um, my question to you is you mentioned about really wanting to change the way wealth is viewed in the United States. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that in five years? What do you think is going to be the biggest change in the next five years? Um, it's interesting that you mentioned this. I'm actually working on a potential initiative with a university here in Asheville to build a personal finance program, uh, to look at the way that we are teaching people to build wealth. And there's some, you know, there's some, you know, astounding stats out there, right? Like the average, for example, you know, the average person has about $65,000 saved in retirement when the numbers show that we need a million, in order to retire in the U.S., right? So there's obviously a big gap there. And the average student loan debt is like $29,000 right now, right? So one of the things that I am really interested in is getting people to understand. And I think there's there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of similarities to looking at like global warming and sustainability overall, right? We're starting to have the conversation now to realize 
if we keep going the path that we're going with the way that we manage our money, not only individually, but at a macro level, it's not sustainable, right? So right now the U.S. is at $1.4 trillion of consumer debt, right? So on average, it's like $50,000 per person having that level of debt. What is the plan to get get out of it? Debt is going to be due, right? Right, right. And and then when we look at and again when you look at things like the student loan in combination with the student loans with the you know the the cost of housing right now, which we can talk about the mar- you know the housing market being insane right now, and then the fact that people don't have enough money to retire, like there's going to be a head I think that comes at some point, and I would love for us to get ahead of that, right? Now that's obviously a really tall order. And so, like you said, not trying to bite everything all at once. What can I do, right? What can I do to do that? And so where I hope to see a change in the next five years goes back to what I just described, changing the face of wealth in America. And by starting at the level of of educating people who have traditionally been ignored by personal finance or um, and by financial services and, and people, and again, like I said, women in particular and communities of color and bringing those education um, and those, these new ideas about what retirement looks like, what education looks like, what housing looks like, right? And helping people at an individual level make better choices so that hopefully at a macro level, it will start to aggregate, right? So as a small example, I started out Crush Your Money Goals last year with the intention of eliminating a million dollars of debt, right? There's $1.4 trillion. So I was like, I ain't going to do 1.4 trillion, but let me go for a million, (laughs) right? Which still seems like a lot. And the way that I thought about it was like, if I can find a hundred people who are willing to each pay off $10,000 of debt, that would be a million dollars of debt, right? And you know, since then I've had 1800 people go through my classes and I've had several, you know, more, I've had, I've had more than hundred people tell me they've paid off, you know, more than $10,000 of debt. I haven't, I've lost track of the numbers at this point, but that was my, you know, that small step led me into, okay, now we're getting, we're getting somewhere. And I think where you'll appreciate this is, uh, you know, coming back to technology, this, I, I've always used that agile approach when it comes to my business, right. And to, and to education and how I do things like I'm constantly testing, I'm constantly putting out new things and asking for those quality checks and and moving on to the next thing. And so the last year and a half has been like an ongoing beta test of all of the different things that I've been teaching. And I finally, you know, learned a lot of the things that are sticking with people. And it's sharing these numbers and real and people starting to realize like, okay, you're right. Logically, this doesn't make sense. Logically, I can't carry this amount of debt and have a $300,000 mortgage and only have $65,000 in savings right. and somehow be financially independent. Right. So I hope that that was my long way of saying is that I have a lot of hope in the next five years that we are going to materially change the conversation around money and have people realize that the way that we're going about money right now isn't sustainable. No, I like that. And actually, it may be long-winded or not, you have a lot of really great points in there and a lot of great numbers that are data, right? And part of what we talk about and understanding our own personal wealth and understanding our own personal growth are data facts. And I don't think we always think about, like you just mentioned, like the average person has around $65,000 in debt, you know, just from X, Y, or Z. Those are points that you stop and you think to yourself, well, really, how much do I have? And that was really the big process for me at the beginning of 2021 was to sit down and write down, you know, where is all of our money going and how is it going? And we were on a different trajectory even at the beginning of the pandemic. And then, you know, things 
took a little bit of a turn, but we then were, were turning back. But I think that's what's happened to a lot of people sitting down and really thinking, taking stake in what is important and how do we get ourselves to a point where we're not always depending on that paycheck to paycheck because that is so daunting after time. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's just so daunting. But, okay, so here's my, my last question is if you could give the advice of where, I know I ask about money, but where would you start for somebody who is feeling very overwhelmed with debt right now? Where do they start first? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually the first place that I'll start with all of my clients is to take stock of where you are currently, not just with your debt, but everything, right? So um, I figured out that most women don't understand the concept of net worth. And that is the singular thing that I, I ask people to look at when you are just figuring out where you want to go. And um, as I mentioned earlier, right, the average American is going to need at least a million dollars in, in, in retirement in order to actually retire, right? So the steps that I ask people to do is just figure out where you are right now. And net worth is simply everything that you own minus everything that you owe. And figuring out, are you positive? Are you negative? And what does that number look like? And now now the obvious next question people always ask is like, well, what's a good number, right? And it all depends. What do you want to do, right? With your life, right? So for me, as an example, like my first milestone in looking at my net worth was to be positive because at one point it was negative, right? So I was like, I'm not worried about that million dollars. I'm just going to worry about being neutral, (laughs) like just not owing money anymore to people, right? And then the next step was my first six figures of net worth, right? So how do I get to $100,000 of net worth, positive net worth? And then the next one after that was, it seems like a big jump, but a million dollars, right? Because I said, my husband and I said, we want to retire and we want to retire early. We don't want to retire at 65. We're going to retire at 40. So um, just taking stock of everything that you own. So that's like your cash, your investments, your house, your car, right? Your, if you are someone who has fine art, (laughs) things that, you know, are of value and then getting stock of everything that you owe, your credit cards, your car loans, your student loans, your personal loans, right? And just figuring out if you were to take everything you owe, own and everything you owe and you subtract that out, what are you left with? And that's a, that's a starting point to figure out what you need to do next. I love it. And it's so simple. And then you have that data point and then you can use tools and resources around you and your own skill set to help you step in that right direction. Or you can take one of Bernadette's classes or reach out to schedule a call with her. And how do they do that, Bernadette, if they if someone would like to work with you? Sure. You can always go to my website at crushyourmoneygoals.com. You can follow me on social media at Bernadette Joy, spelled with the word D-E-B-T. You'll see my picture. You'll know it's me. <laughs> and um, and uh, I will offer it to any of um, your listeners. If you want to schedule a free consultation with me, it's usually $99. Just mention that you listened to this podcast and you can email me at hello at Crush Your Money Goals and we can do a free chat. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Take her up on that, everybody. Take her up on that because she will point out pieces. It's always good to have an objective view because money is so personal. Your thought process is so personal. Having that objective uh, insight is just invaluable to be able to get you in the right track. 
and start you finding your own personal wealth and financial freedom, whatever that may look like. And you may end up finding your own path within this for your career, how you're able to add in financial growth and um, help to even within the business or within your own uh, community as well. And I'm saying that because I think like you said earlier, if you could reach a hundred people that would pay off $10,000 in debt, you'd reach a million dollars. And just think about how those 100 people can also influence the next person and where that can grow and develop. Thank you so much, Bernadette. This has been incredible. I can't believe it's already like flown by the time together. Um, I really, really encourage you all to follow up uh, with her at um, crushyourmoneygoals.com. If you'd like to know more about the work that I do in working with computer science and education, please go to the .consulting.co. And if you'd like to be um, learn more about the work I do with girls in computer science, check out DottieRoseFoundation.org. And we have all kinds of opportunities where you can contribute your own skill set to support young women who are finding their own voice in technology and computer science and STEM, et cetera. So thank you again, Bernadette. Thank you, everybody, for being with us. And don't forget to follow us on the Voice America Network and any other podcast app under Coding the Future. And check us out next week when we have more amazing experts uh, on the show to share their stories and insights on uh, growing and becoming that new level of tech savvy. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org.